Hello, and welcome to Bits of Wisdom, Episode 2, Gameology Supplemental Episode. I'm Attila Gabriel-Pranitsky, and this time, instead of just rehashing my extended thoughts on an existing podcast topic, I thought I'd talk a little bit more about one of my past experiences in development, specifically in the development of Robo's World, the Zarnok Fortress. I'm also going to try and talk a little bit slower this time. Sorry, when I'm reading off of something, I just tend to read really quickly. So without further ado, I'm going to talk a bit about one of the mechanics that was originally planned to be in Robo's World Zarnok Fortress. It was an RPG-style leveling system, and you would earn experience by defeating enemies, and then when you reached certain thresholds, when you leveled up, Robo would unlock new abilities. I even went in so far as to design a whole system whereby chaining together consecutive kills earned you a multiplier on your experience, inspired by Halo's multi-kill metal system. And while that part of it was kind of fun, the idea of like encouraging players to try and chain together as many enemy kills as possible, like within a very short amount of time, I think I came up with like 30 different names in the way that Halo features like Kill Atrocity, Killionaire. I I had like 30 of them for what it's worth. Now, the way that you would earn experience, obviously you, you, you didn't decide what abilities you wanted to pick. They just unlocked in a linear fashion, and they collected at the bottom of the screen. In the original demo for Zarnok Fortress, you were actually able to click uh, using the mouse on the screen to activate an ability. That obviously didn't work with the game's revised control scheme once I started taking controller support as the sort of primary way the game would be played. Obviously, I could have mapped it to something like either a dial menu or something that pops up when you press something down. Uh, Maybe even the D-pad would have been an option. But ultimately, the main reason that some of these extra abilities were scrapped is because, well, some of them made their way back into the game in different ways. One of the abilities was a shielding power-up that Robo could collect, and that just became shield power-ups, things that you could either find in the world or craft using spare parts. Similarly, the one of the other power-ups was just a boost to how quickly your grenade charged, and that also didn't seem... Like, okay, great, you can fire twice as fast, and that's certainly nice. But none of the original ideas that I had were all that interesting. It was basically just, like, one of them boosted the speed of your laser firing, one of them boosted your health via this shield and reduced the damage you took, and one of them increased the power of your melee attacks. So none of those, I felt, were particularly interesting. They didn't modify the game in any significant way. The two abilities that were a lot of fun to play around with were the first ability you unlocked, which was called the Zarnok Energy Signature, and the final ability that you unlocked called the Detonation Protocol. So Detonation Protocol, as the name kind of implies, when you activated that ability, every enemy on screen basically exploded. The way I achieved that in the original game was just by spawning a grenade on every visible enemy. The way I was thinking of fine-tuning this would be, in Zarnok Fortress, all enemies obey a ranking system. So sentry is the lowest, then fighter, then specialist, then expert, then elite. And the more powerful, the more higher ranking an enemy would be, the longer it would take for the detonation protocol to activate. Like, you had to stay within a sort of proximity of them, keeping them on screen while a meter filled above their head. And I should mention that these ranks were the same ranks that Robo was receiving. So that's why at level one, you received the Zarnok energy signature, because you were now recognized as a sentry-level Zarnok enemy. So the energy signature, in the original game, it just basically had the effect of invisibility. 
Robo would just not be noticed by enemies, and it was proportional. That ability, if Robo was a sentry, he wouldn't be noticed by sentries and workers, which are the non-ranked enemies in Zarnoff Fortress. If Robo was a fighter, then he wouldn't be noticed by fighters and sentries and so on. So it, it definitely helped if you were in a tight spot. I don't, I don't think it worked on enemies that were like in the process of attacking you, but if you could activate it out of sight, then you could just run past stuff, which stealth remained an important component of Zarnok Fortress. That's why uh, enemies have very pronounced lines of sight. There are some encounters in the game that are specifically designed to be stealthed around, like you want to get behind enemies so they don't notice you and then take them out before they see you. But I felt that simply just making the player invisible didn't really contribute to that. I got as far as implementing this idea into the new game, making it so that if you had the Zarnok energy signature active, then when you pressed down to fold into like a compact mode, Robo would project a holographic image of a crate around him so he would be able to hide in plain sight and i had that in the game and and the reason that like all of this ended up cut it from the game the leveling the experience the abilities was because none of it fit with what i regarded as the core appeal of zarnok fortress and that was speed and speed running to me at least seems like a very important part of the game the fact that you start out with all of your abilities intact the fact that there are so many special paths that i built into the game specifically in the name of speed it simply didn't make sense for the player to be running around killing enemies and trying to level up that wasn't in line with their primary objective it was in in some ways they were mutually exclusive like you can't be fast and take down the ship if you're busy trying to level your character up. So it felt better to not have the leveling and experience in the game. And then similarly, the powers were sort of consolidated also like in the name of speed. In the original game, Robo had a melee slash dash ability where dashing into enemies also hurt them. And then in the final game, I separated this out so that dashing was a separate action that you could do at any time. And melee was a... It's own action. And ultimately, I even think that I probably should have cut melee attacks from the game because I, st I feel like way too many people thought, hey, I can just punch stuff, but the enemy has exploded in your face. So punching things was meant to basically like clear out crates or hit something that has enough health to where it can survive. But still, I'll admit that the melee system in Zarnok Fortress is kind of clunky. Like going up to hit an enemy, it's very hard to hit an enemy and not get hit by them as well. They're, the enemy is stunned temporarily. I did program that in when you punch them, but they recover from it very quickly. So unless you really like time your melee punch to the like edge of the enemy's hitbox, and then you can immediately retreat, it's very likely that you'll take counterattack damage, and then really there's no point. I sort of didn't think it was worth cutting out because it was a viable tactic for fighting workers, because they can't melee attack Robo back. So you could dash punch through them for three damage, then turn around, shoot them in the face for the remaining three damage, and you just kill them instantly before they can uh, counterattack. So I felt that that combination was pretty cool. And ultimately, if people have a laser, but they decide to go up and punch enemies in the face, sure, you know, I, I'm not going to stop them from doing that. 
But the I think the main reason that there was this melee attack in the game is because the game's inspiration, both Mega Man ZX has a, a sword, and in Halo you always have a melee option. You have a gun, but you can still punch things. And I guess the sort of line of thinking I had was, hey, you know, this is a video game. It's a character that can shoot. Character should also be able to punch. Again, I'll admit, not exactly a rational line of thought. But in the end, I don't think the melee, having the melee system in the game hurts it, which is why I didn't cut it out in the same way as I did feel it was worth cutting out the experience. The other issue being with experience that your abilities were based on a timed cooldown. And there's nothing, I could have switched that around. Again, waiting for your abilities to recharge before, so you can like charge into a new uh, room and just activate all your abilities and completely destroy everything, then wait. I don't like playing the waiting game. I don't like that sort of sense. I know why Breath of the Wild had to do it that way. There, that your special abilities that you unlock in Breath of the Wild are based on this sort of limited use and then timed cooldown. And that makes sense in a game like Breath of the Wild, where there isn't a sort of time pressure. My other choice would have been something like making these abilities based on a sort of Mega Man system, where you have your primary health and then also a secondary like special energy system, which enemies also draw. But in the end, that sort of became spare parts, like the ability to pick up spare parts off of enemies and then craft them into whatever you wanted, I felt really fit into the versatility of the game. The feeling that you can get and redeem these things whenever you need them for whatever you want. I like that flexibility. I felt it was very much a... You know, it's barely even crafting at that point. It's just this very streamlined, like, get resource, redeem resource for what you need when you need it. Even to the point where I enabled auto-crafting so that as players were taking damage, your spare parts would effectively become more health. And I feel like that system, too, could have used a bit more refinement. I just... Again, I think that the game turned out great. I really love playing it. I know there's a lot of people who really love playing it. I'm just willing to admit that there are certain things about it that aren't perfect. And I, I think there's always, we're always going to see that in even AAA games. We're going to see these amazing polished experiences created by teams of hundreds of people where there's just something that doesn't make sense or is contrary to the core engagement of the game or honestly, several worse issues. So if I can look at Zarnok Fortress and say like, yes, this has flaws, but I don't think any of them make it a bad game. I still count myself ahead of people who end up spending way more time on a project and ending up with a final product that is less playable. But, you know, maybe I'm not the best person to judge my own work. Oh, sometimes artists notice more flaws in their own work than other people, but the flaws that other people see are the ones that you really need to pay attention to. Anyway, that's been my dissertation on why leveling and special abilities were omitted from the final release of Zarnok Fortress. If you found this interesting, if you like this kind of vision into my creative design process, however you want to call it, please let us know. Get in touch with me on my website, bluishgreenproductions.com, and you can submit user feedback. If you've got any questions that you want me to answer or that you want Matthew to answer on the show when we're back to a regularly scheduled episode, then also, you can submit it via the same link. You can also find me on Twitter at BluishGreenPro or my personal handle, Attila Gabriel. Thanks everyone for listening. Have a good day.